Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Before we get into this week's guest, I've got a big, big announcement. Really proud to announce the launch of the My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy Next Gen Club. So this is basically an opportunity for players wherever you are around the world to learn from some of the best player developers in world football. I myself is going to deliver the technical sessions. Good friend Glenn Hicks, ex-Tottenham Hotspur coach, will be delivering tactical uh, analysis sessions. Uh, Charlie Quigley, who's a Southampton S&C coach, is going to be delivering physical sessions. Chris Robinson, ex-Chelsea scout, is going to be uh, working on recruitment tips about how to get scouted and how to get noticed and my good friend Steve Salas uh, one of the best mindset gurus around who works for the English FA and the Scottish FA is going to deliver mindset classes as well so uh, really excited about this we made it as, as affordable as possible it's just $9.99 a month new videos every month so really excited to really support players wherever they are in the world with world-class access to some of the best player developers and specialists in world soccer so this is a real top so just follow the info in the bio we can go straight to the my personal football coach app and sign up now goes live february the first so don't miss out okay so really excited about this one but now on to the guest uh pretty proud to have my good friend yusuf sajid on the show uh yusuf uh, has worked for some top clubs started his career early at brentford then he went to chelsea where he worked full-time in the recruitment then was head of emerging talent at Arsenal and now is her technical director at Den Bosch in, uh, in Holland. So a, a meteoric rise, someone I, you know, I've known obviously him quite a while. I remember my time at Chelsea, someone's highly regarded there uh, to go in 10, 11 years from, you know, basically, um, you know, a volunteer, volunteer scout to a technical director is, is, is fantastic. And someone obviously is very, very good at what he does. I remember when he left Chelsea, actually, they were very disappointed. He left and Arsenal did a big coup getting him over there and to be head of emerging talent at Arsenal as well so um, really interesting insight actually just you know about the, the change in nature of the scouting game and you know the use of analysis and also the use of the eye as well so yeah he's a really interesting guy top top practitioner obviously you don't get those positions if you haven't do it so if you're not in that if you're not in that that quality sort of person so I know you're going to enjoy it so without further ado let's get into the show so Yusuf Sajad welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me can you just give us a brief description of your experience in the game up to this point, please, mate? Um, yeah, so I started off my journey at Optusports, um, coding games um, as a sort of live data analyst. Um, not as glamorous as it sounds. We were in an office in, in Waterloo, um, basically coding games um, that were assigned to um, across Europe. Um, but it gave me a real, real insight as to to how things kind of work, um, especially from a analytical perspective, which is where I kind of started to watch football and and gave myself um, the the kind of platform to to build on experiences. I then got an opportunity to scout at Brentford. Um, that was on a voluntary basis. I did that for about a year, um, and started to kind of reach out to clubs for a more permanent permanent base um in that period reading and chelsea um were in touch i spent a real brief period at reading um and then went to chelsea after that um as a scout in the west london region 
um, again, scouted within academies across West London. Um, and it was from under nines all the way up to under 18s, 21s. Um, and then had the opportunity then to to join Arsenal after five five seasons at Chelsea. I kind of progressed my way into a full-time position after two years at Chelsea um, as the lead recruitment analyst, um, originally in the academy and then kind of crossing over with the first team. Um, joined Arsenal in a similar role. Um, and then in the last kind of three years, Two and a half years that I was there, um, I ended with a role as head of emerging talent, which was kind of working across the first team, um, academy and loans, um, and working across those ages where they're kind of on the edge of first team experience, but also at the same time trying to bring in players that can improve our our under 21s and under 18s. Interesting. And then to your current current role? So my current role now as technical director at Den Bosch, where I'm in charge of the whole football in operation. Um, and yeah, that kind of came about in uh, in a way where I was contacted by the shareholders of the club. Um, they presented the idea. Initially, it was like, okay, this is, this is a, a good step, a big step, but also at the same time, um, having been in management roles, but managing scouting teams to then managing mm -hmm. the whole football in operation is, is obviously two different things. Um, but in that moment, I kind of, I kind of backed myself um, because I have the knowledge of, I probably would say it, Holland is one of the regions where I've been strongest. Um, yeah. Also then the next steps after that, um, yeah, it's, it's then you put yourself in a position for you to then, learn, adapt, grow, and use all the experiences that you've used across all the so, other roles. So let's, so let's before we get too much into that, because I want to sort of cut work chronologically, if you like. So how how long is it, how long is from your first day at Opta, if you like, to your, to your, to, to this point here, to that, you know? About 11 years. Wow. And did you ever think when you started there, you'd be a technical director of a, you know, European club? <laughs> Not at all, <laughs> not at all. And it's look, impressive. The goal and the ambition was always to try and progress to this level, mm. um, but I never really put a time limit on it. Like it was never like yeah. I want to be here by this. It was like whatever I need to do, um, however long it takes, I'm going to do it. Um, tell, tell us, tell, tell us about then your what what took you to get in, get working for Opta. What were you doing before that? I mean, what was your experience in the game, and what what, what led you? Did you always have you know some idea in your mind you wanted to work in recruitment analysis sort of thing? So I I did a sports science degree. Um, I was again just for me uh, passionate about the game. It was nothing like I was working in a certain remit that kind of led me to it. Um, but for me, it was. I wanted to go down the direction of something that I feel like I'm really passionate about, that I can continue to build on experiences. Of course, being from a South Asian background, this is a never an easy uh, conversation to have with your with your family mm. um, to say, yeah, I'm now going to pursue a, a career in football. It shouldn't be that way, but um, it, it, it has been just from past experiences and, and the kind of, you could say, lack of role models 
um, that have been given the opportunity to have a platform. Um, and that's kind of then was was one of the things that I wanted to to kind of lead. And it was from that point where I kind of had in my mind, like I want, I want to kind of do it for myself, but also at the same time, there's no reason why I should, I should doubt myself because we haven't seen guys from the background mm. that from or, or or ladies from the guys the the background that I'm from that that in the end I, I shouldn't pursue it because of that reason. Um and in the end my family understood. Um there was things that I had to do along the way to try and give myself a little bit more room and, and time. Um and it then grew from working at Opta um because I got a real insight as to what it's what it's like to also be involved in a in an environment where it's a lot more professional and it's a little bit different to me just sitting there writing reports, um, which is what I started to do just to develop my own experience. Um, and then going into Brentford, of course, yeah, it's voluntary and, and you're not getting paid, but also at the same time, it felt like I was working for a football club and that feeling mm. is then what drove me on from that point. Yeah. I said, like I said to everyone, it's addictive, isn't it? That environment, working that environment, everyone's, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have experienced it, just interesting about the Opta, tell me about that role. So you're coding games. What does that look like? And you know, what are you doing that? What, what's, what are you doing that for? Those sorts of things. So we initially, there was like a, there was like a three week kind of training program, even before you even get to games, before you even get to coding games, you have to, go through an extensive program of how it kind of works, what what you're actually doing. Um, and just to go into the specifics, like every key on the keyboard had an action. So it was like you're trying to right. keep up with the game um, whilst literally trying to be as accurate as you possibly can. And when you go live, there's no margin for error. You are pretty much getting that they are as accurate as possible for a team to use at half time. And so yeah. long in the training process for you to be at a certain level before you can be assigned to a team and go live. So even the training process itself was so extensive. Um, and I learned so much even in that three week period um, of just how to keep up with the game and, and actions with, um, with uh, annotations attached to it. Um, it gave me a, a real feeling of, okay, this is this is not going to be easy. But then when I did get through that process and I was assigned to a team, um, I did Reims in France. Um, and then you follow that team every game that they play. You're coding the games based on the, the uh, indicators um, assigned. And I think it was that having a 98% accuracy. In the end, there's a checker as well. That will check before it goes out at full time um to then say that this is 100 percent accurate to the game um what's happening guys hope you're enjoying the show just want a quick one to say don't forget that my personal football coach virtual academy next gen club is going live very soon uh, you can get sessions from myself 
tactical sessions from Glenn Hicks, ex-Tottenham Hotspur coach, mindset lessons from uh, the guru himself, mindset guru Steve Salas, who worked for the English FA, Scottish FA, Charlie Quigley, who's an SNC coach, works at Southampton Academy, he's doing physical sessions, and Chris Robinson as well, ex-Chelsea scout, is going to be delivering tips on how to get scouted, how to get noticed, all right? So really excited about that. Follow the link in the bio, or you can go straight to the My Personal Football Coach app start and, uh, and click on Start, and there it's just $9.99 a month. So really happy to try to make it as affordable as possible for everybody 9.99 a month to take your game to the next level now back into the show but so yeah, then was... so, 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 so people who maybe don't haven't experienced that so i mean just gives a bit of description you, you know you, you basically you're tracking every single action in the game so that could be like you know 1v1 duels or four passes or you know turnovers and that sort of thing yeah and literally like it's it's also aerials won and lost but the direction the ball's gone in so you're covering the cursor um, of the mouse over the ball to just basically try and find what at what point um, the action happened, but also at the same time figuring out what type of action it is, um, different types of passes, different types of um, duels, whether it's won and lost, the difference between where then the ball ends up. Um, mm. it, it's gathering all of that information within like a split second. And yeah, your brain has to be on it for 90 minutes um yeah. but within every second there is like three or four actions that you have to be aware of um making sure that you're on top of interesting so when you go then to work at brentford because obviously you, know, you described yourself working in recruitment analysis and obviously um you know this is obviously where the the, the modern game's going isn't it in terms of you know maybe i'm i'm, in, I'm assuming now this is you know maybe the old days of the scout you know the big uh you know, will you know, coaching jacket on the sideline where you're yeah. just watching and stuff like that. Yeah. Is it so is that I mean that's assuming this is this is what your that was your sort of recruitment sort of eye then is about analyzing games and then the, the statistics and that thing rather than maybe going and saying, Oh, I'm looking at players saying he maybe he looks a bit good, or is it a bit of, you know I'm going with that? You know, the the yeah, no, the, I, the, the, the old notions of scouts is, is sort of changed, or is it a bit of both? Yeah. Or how much is it now? Is it just on data and stats, or is it still looking at the eye and thinking about, oh, you know, that sort of thing. How much has that evolved? Because obviously when I first started in a game 20 years ago, it would have been purely, you know, oh, someone's just, you know, he fancies him, that sort of get him in sort of thing. To be fair, like when I started at Brentford, I started off like that. Like it wasn't anything right. to do with data. It was like literally me starting off as um, a, a scout, like of what you would describe with big Brentford cult, going and watching grassroots games. Yeah. Tournament the 11s under 12s picking out who the best players are so it it was it was nice because i got to see the other part of it at that point the only thing i knew was sitting behind the computer coding games i never really had the experience of going out and watching games and picking out players um it was more so driven by what my job was which was to collect data um watching a game and this kind of was the complete other way in the initial phase when I started where I was literally just, yeah, watching games, going to tournaments, summer tournaments, um, in West London and, um, trying to, trying to pick out the best players to bring in the development center and then, you know, bring him in on trial and just the whole processes that you would, that you would have seen as well. Um, mm. in the early stages, it then kind of developed when I left Brentford into another kind of, kind of remit. But whilst I was at Brentford, that's, that's what I did. It was more grassroots. It was more, under nines, tens, elevens, um, those ages where the focus at the time with Brentford's Academy being 
being I, I thought was was one of the one of the better ones, one of the best ones. Um, mm. That was the main focus. Interesting. So then, let's talk about then. You're you're getting a job at Chelsea. How does that work? I mean, listen, you know, not Chelsea don't employ everybody. They go for the best of the best, and you know. Before, obviously, I've worked in that environment. I know they're very driven. They want to be the best academy in the world. How did that opportunity come about? And then tell us about how your role, you know, developed there and you maybe using those different strategies. Yeah, so I, I reached out on on LinkedIn to to different clubs. I um, got a response from um, from the guys at Chelsea. They invited me into to have a conversation. I told him my experiences at Opta and what I did at Brentford. Um, very much knowing that look, it's not going to be enough for me to just be in a position where they offer me a role that's going to be full time and I can, you know, leave my mm. leave my day job and and join. But also just knowing that that could be the next step for me that would be, you know, fantastic to just develop my experiences. Um, the conversation happened. There was no vacancies at the time. That's when I then went to I'd spoken with Reading joined there for a very brief period also working similarly to how I was at Brentford um working within the West London region um but kind of getting a more coordinator's role I did that for a month and then Chelsea got back in contact to basically say that there isn't now a vacancy um to join as a scout in the West London area and now this is now writing reports and covering um academies across West London of professional clubs so it then kind of changed from grassroots to now covering the likes of a Brentford, covering the likes of a um, Fulham, covering the likes of a, of a Reading itself. Like, so um, the way it was kind of mapped out was um, ages across under nines all the way up to under 18s, 21s, um, and writing reports based on what their processes were of, of a reporting season. And that's then kind of when where I could kind of combine a little bit of the knowledge of of watching games live and having the experiences at Brentford um, and actually scouting with the experiences that I had at Opta and being more mm. data-driven and trying to combine the two. Like Initially, it was like I was trying to be a bit too clever because I was trying to do it for like under 11 games. And it's like, okay, well, how much can you do? But I just wanted to show what 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 I've learned. So how did you do that? You 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 you'd record. You what did you do? You watch the game. You code it yourself while you're watching, or you have a you so record would, it, or so I would have um like a basically a, a book where it, it was a, again like picture of a pitch, um mm. and I would try and create a like I had like two pens with me, a red pen and a green pen, and it was like trying to use the keys that I would create for me to do similarly what I would do in a game um, at Opta. Wow. And I'd like, I'd be watching under 11, under 12 game. And I'd have like all of these like passes and, you know, trying to create the same kind of actions yeah, create yeah. for, for very basic ones, like, you know, uh, pass completion in the end, or if you're watching a specific player, cause it would be more for specific players that I'd be going and watching. Um, in the end, having some real basic data for them at the end of the game. Where I know that that no one else would would have watching an under eleven game, but in the end, how useful it was, I don't know. Um, but it was just. I mean, something... I mean that's just interesting. Like, it sounds like the Matrix to me. You know, you got these things going on. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just like... sort of having to code the game. 
which is interesting. What was like, what's your, I mean, why do clubs like Chelsea send people like you out to watch other teams like that? Is it just to know who all the players are? Is it to identify who the top talents are? Is it to thinking potentially if they're going to try and recruit those guys? What's, what is the purpose of, you know, the clubs like that doing, you know, sending guys like you out? I think a lot of it was to act as early as possible from a recruitment perspective, especially when it comes to the younger age groups to sign players, especially from a cost standpoint, but also from a development standpoint where if you bring in now, for example, a, a Michael Golden from AFC Wimbledon at mm. under 12, you've then got six years, seven years, eight years of development um until that player can potentially become a first team player within your environment and you can influence his development in a certain way um and i think a lot of it was down to that because obviously those clubs money isn't an issue um i think it's then more down to can we get these guys in the building and we believe in our processes we believe in our ability to develop players can we get them in with us as long as possible um because mm. they will have a better chance of then progressing onto our first team or be, or or even be sold um in the future so a lot of it was down to that um and i feel like it has worked it has worked for clubs like that where players have come in under 12 13 14 whatever age and gone on to play for for the first teams um and a lot of it is down in my opinion of course the talent and the potential that the players show um, but then how you can influence that player's development with the environment that you've created. Yeah, I remember once um, when the head of local recruitment told me when I was at Chelsea, said the ambition was for the club to, you know, not necessarily, obviously not going to get every player, but wanted to see every, you know, top talent in London, do you know what I mean? Or in the whole South, is, you know, a massive amount of what they've got. So like, but that's the ambition of those clubs and all clubs are the same. They, they want to know who the best players are, have the understanding of that. I suppose so there's no surprises, right? So... Is that sort of that the key? Yeah, and also I think when it comes to having the knowledge, you can then also then influence your actions based on that. Like in in knowing a player yeah. from whatever age, if they do start to develop at under twelve and under thirty, it doesn't just come onto your radar. You already know where they're coming from and what their starting point is, and then you can then then differentiate between where they have been, where they are, and where they could get to. It just gives you more of an outline. Tell us a bit then when, like, with your role at Chelsea, I mean, when does it become really about the data? You know, when is that, when is that sort of, you know, what age or when, and how does that process work? You know, when, and then what sort of process are involved in that, in that? So it was in my second season where I kind of, yeah, I presented to the, to the head of recruitment um, and head of local recruitment, just some ideas that I had regarding our recruitment processes and how we can use our, our system, scouting system, in a more efficient way um, when it comes to the decision-making um, process or when we get to a stage where we want to sign a player. And when I kind of presented that idea of how we can um, utilize, but also combine that with some of the notational analysis that I was doing, um, they kind of just said, look, like, have this is a year's internship for you now to to try and implement this and i was lucky enough for me to do that for a for a season um and then in the end of the season they i was able to go full-time 
Um, and it was more so having more structure around our decision-making process and signing players in that period, like a Billy Gilmore, like an Ethan Ampadu, where we were able to create presentations off the back of um, the work that's being done across the scouting teams that give us more insight on the on the player at 15, 16, that may be what you would expect to have at first team level, but you wouldn't necessarily have um, at those ages. Um, and I think what what really what really went well was the the presentations to the families um, and also at the time to to the board as well, where they would get more insight um, from a 15-year-old's background, whether it's playing or personal, um, that would then lead us on to a signing at the time where we thought was was a potential first-team player for Chelsea, which in the end is, is worked out well for both of their careers. Um then following on to that was Ian Matson as well from PSV. So not only across the UK, but then also across Europe. Um, and then that's when I started traveling across Europe more as well, where it was also doing this side, but also still going and watching games and reporting on players. Um, it then developed, it de then developed into a full-time role after the season um, of doing that for, for in my second year. Um, to then kind of lead the processes when it comes to um, the information part and the and the managing of our scouting database. What about like, so for example, Billy Gilmore, you know, top talent, what what are the key KPIs or what are the things you're looking for for him, his particular position? You call him sort of like, you know, don't we, what sort of, you know, we call him a, you know, a central midfielder, or, you know, or deep line playmaker, whatever. What, what are the key things, what are the stats what are the things calling out to you saying oh, this is a this is a top player? Do you know what I mean? What the, what's the, what's the data saying? I think with Billy, like it, it was more than, and I have to say, like it was more than just the the data with him, because when you watch him, you can't ignore his character. Like you can't ignore, not ignore the type of person he is, like and the the influence he has from his personality. Um, and of course, like when you would look at the the data that we were able to collect, because again, it's not really common for you to have data at those ages so we would i would try and collect my own when i would go and watch him as you can very much see what you see today is that he is someone that is extremely good on the ball but you can also see that he has the vision and the awareness to create openings um that not other players could do at the level that he was playing at um but also he had the bite and the aggression um mm. that for at the time a uh, a really small small lad um with with um with the bite and the tenacity that he had he was winning duels um and he was winning them in games where he was playing against players that were three four years older than him um so i think with billy it was like the the data side gave us a clear picture of what we see of him as a player but what really stood out for him was his was his personality um and you can see that the influence it has on his own performance, but also his team's performance was what we really, really liked. So that's, so you're talking about balance there of like, you know, you see what you see as well as what the data says, but I mean, what, I mean, data wise though, what sort of things are you looking for, for that sort of that player position? I assume it's like forward passes. And what I'm asking, what I'm saying is, is it like forward passes in certain areas of the pitch or possessions or what exactly would you know, what are the key metrics you're looking for? Someone like that who plays in that position, 
you know, that's, you know, that's going to excite you in terms of the data. I think what really kind of excited me when I watched him or that profile of player is when in defensive transition, their stats are so high that you even against the ball, you see a player that is obviously very good on the ball and can create those openings, but is winning duels in key areas, is winning duels in areas where when there is a turnover, it leads to an attack. Um, he's winning key interceptions to to stop plays um, and in a, in a position where you could say, yes, that's part of his role, but also at the same time being really influential on that as well. Um, mm -hmm. Those are the, for me, that was different to what you would maybe expect that profile of player to to have. Um, and physically, he wasn't, he wasn't like he was covering so much ground in the game, like where you would see he's a, he's an, He's an athlete, but he would do it in a strategic way where he would find himself in the right positions for him to make those crucial moments count, whether it's in defensive mm. transition or, or or in the attacking phase. I think that's question there because you're talking about you're talking about the out of possession work or the you know the, maybe the you know the less glamorous because obviously for me as a, I'm sort of more of an individual possession coach, so my my confirmation bias is just looking what he does you know on the ball. But I suppose that's where it's, the stats are really useful. Imagine because that's, you know, the stats don't lie, as you say. And those, you know, you say like the transition and like the interceptions is really key, isn't it? Those, those really key metrics to, I suppose, help you make that decision on a player, give you a rounded picture, right? It's influence as well. Like he, it's the influence you have from doing that, not only on your own performance, but on your team's performance and also the result in the end. And there were so mm. many games that I watched him where that part of his game was influencing the result in the end of the game. Mm. Um, and this is this is also something to kind of, for, for me to take away from that, to go, okay, he's obviously very good on the ball and we can see that. And also our reports are telling us that everyone that's gone and watched him has reported on that. Um, but also when people are reporting on this part of the part of his game, when I went and watched him, it was like you get to see how influential he actually is. Um, mm. Those parts of the game as well. Interesting. So then, tell us about your move to Arsenal. Um, you go there. Um, how, how did that come about? And tell us a little bit about that. Your role there. Um, so, the person who I worked with at Brentford, who kind of took me took me under under their wing at, at Brentford as a as a volunteer voluntary scout, um, went to Arsenal reached out to me um to basically say that they're looking for similar role that I had um at Chelsea as a lead recruitment analyst and yeah Arsenal is a team that I've supported um and it was in a in a moment where I felt like it would be a great step for me to make um within I think probably in my own career having been at Chelsea for five years and having probably I would still say up until this day the grounding of of what I've learned that will influence the rest of my career um no matter what I do from this point um to step into a new challenge where there's new goals there's new ambitions there's new um ways of working that I can not only continue to develop myself but also at the same time bring some of the stuff that I've learned 
um, as a as a skill set that can be used within a within a new organization. So yeah, I mean, obviously working under Lee Heron is a good friend of mine. Also, Lee, you got to tell Lee to come on this podcast because he's been he's been threatening to do it for many years, but he's, he's still refusing. But a big shout out to Lee. But yeah, Lee leading that leading that um, leading that that um, leading the recruitment team there. Obviously, Lee's a great guy, a great great academy. I mean, what what's the um, what was the, the initial things you found moving? Were, were any differences between the clubs or any differences in process? Or the you know com, compare and contrast those two massive you know, London Giants? So when I kind of got more exposed to it when I when I transitioned into um, the role as head of emerging talent and working with Lee more closely um, as he came in as a head of talent ID. Before that, there was a lot of changes. There was a lot of um, things that weren't kind of, there wasn't really a structure in place and there was a lot of change. It was, it was during a transition phase where it took a while for us to really get to a point where hey this is now what we're working on and once once we got to that point i i realized very quickly um of course yeah the level of finances is is really much more different than i thought it would in in the sense that look at chelsea you have a short list of players that are really the best the best to the best you'll go and pay whatever you need to pay to go and get them no matter what the limitations are um you will you will break the boundaries for you to go and get whatever player you need. At Arsenal, it was a little bit more structured, a little bit more, we're not going to go past this certain point. Um, especially when it comes to a financial standpoint, not to say necessarily that they didn't have the money. I think it was just more based on, like we don't want to go to that, that direction because we know what it could lead to following on. So that was one of the key differences I noticed straight away. Like it was... Okay, you you don't have the same shortlist as you do as when you're at Chelsea and when you're at Arsenal. You may have some players that cross over, um, but especially in my role of looking at under 17s to kind of under 21s, your remit is completely different. And that was probably for me one of the key key differences that Im- impacted my work the most, um, because then you have to think differently. You have to think in terms of yes budgets but also still making sure that you're not compensating on quality you're still looking at the same level of quality um you have to just dig a little bit more deeper um to try and to try and get that and again we we signed some players that are now either on the on the fringes of the first team or out alone doing doing really well um and that was our kind of main main purpose in the end is that we may not get a player into Arsenal's first team tomorrow it's the same concept as it would be at Chelsea but can we create an environment and this is what I would take that I wanted to kind of implement from Chelsea is is the loan pathway was as much as people would say about Chelsea's loan pathway um, and them having too many players and this and that is what is worked for them because in the end they have created value out of players that have gone on to be sold for for a lot of money but also they've created value out of players that have come and played for Chelsea's first team. Um, and I, I think where we were at a time at Arsenal, um, when I when I went in, that was something that they were still developing. Um, mm. so, although the finances were different and that was a big difference between the players that we can bring in, that development pathway, I think, was also different the other way 
where yeah, Chelsea were getting the the I think going and pitching for the best players across the globe, um, but also had a development pathway um, when it came to exposing them to periods in their career that they needed for them to continue their progression. Um, Interesting. And that would be another difference as well that I would have seen when I first joined Arsenal. I think Arsenal are, are much better at that now um, in creating scenarios for players that have gone out on loan and are doing really well. Um, but that wasn't necessarily fully the case when I came in. Interesting. And, and I mean, tell us about that. I mean, this is the new role, isn't it? Head of Emerging Talent. This is quite a new, you know, role, isn't it, in terms of the name? I mean, every club that has it, I mean, I assume this is part of the, you know, the E triple P sort of thing, you know, seeing so I mean, tell us about what is your role specifically, man? What does that change? You know, how does that, you know, what what is your 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 you know, let me talk about you you're trying to get is it just what it does what it says on a tin? Or I mean, you know, because every club now seems to have this role within the club. So for for us it was we were kind of a separate team um and a group of people that were focusing on two remits really to get players that eventually could potentially play for Arsenal's first team and still pitching for the for the best talents that never changed um and also at the same time bringing in players that would create some value and we could potentially sell um within that remit also was creating a cycle where we would be able to allow some of the players and start the process of 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 loans so i would sit with a loan manager in the first phases of 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 when i first started to go through the current under 21 squad and it was almost like we had nine or ten players listed now to try and find clubs for to go out on loan we could yes bring the under under 18s up um earlier and expose them to uh uh, earlier transition to under 21 football but not every player is going to be ready for that so then our role also in that was to bring in two or three players um, that could give us some stability within our under 21 group that also allows some of our under 16 under 17 under 18 players to develop at the pace that they that they needed to um, before making a step up to the under 21 so we were kind of working in between a lot of different areas, looking for the best players that can progress onto the first team, paving a way for some of our players to go out on loan within the under-21s, um, and also trying to find players that can create value for us, um, whether that's through, again, the loans process, being exposed to under-21s, first team training, um, and then going out on loan. So it was different, different remits, and we were kind of, as a team, initially working across Europe and UK. Um, Post-Brexit, it became more around UK recruitment, naturally, because the criteria is is just so hard to tick off where you can also financially benefit as well off getting a player for two, 300 grand um, and creating value to sell them for 10, 15 million. It became a lot harder to do that post-Brexit because of the criteria that needed to be taken for the players already having to have to play first team football for them to come over. So already they're of a value of two, three million. Um, then you then got a differentiate between can you now create enough value in this period of time where they're 19, 20 for them to be sold for 10, 15 million, or do you now wait for them to be established first team players and go and pay 15, 20 million for them when they're ready? 
Um, so we yeah, then focused on UK recruitment, um, which is well, what's what's got... what's I mean, what's so to interrupt, mate? What what's I mean from a personal standpoint there? What what the main? I mean, you talk about the challenges there, but I mean, what's you know, football's a very stressful environment. Do you know what I mean what's you know what's uh, what are the main stresses? I mean, what's keeping you awake at night? You know, in terms of that, you know, when you're in that position, what are the main as you know, working at head of emerging talent, what are the main pressures or stresses for you individually, or you know, that you're going to encounter? But the, the the nice part of it was we go and try and find the best players across across football and bring them into Arsenal and hope that we can develop them to play for Arsenal's first team. That would be like the the nice part of it. And you go, okay, this player is a good player. We put him in. We we collate all the information. We sign him. The other part was okay. We have an under twenty one squad where we're losing ten players. Um. We need to be competitive. We know that Chelsea are going to be strong every year. And whether it's said or unsaid, there's always a underlying competition with Chelsea. And I knew that being at Chelsea as well. Mm. Um, we wanted to be present in the Youth Cup. We wanted to be present in the, in the under-21 competitions. We're now then talking about also international under-21 competitions where we're also playing against clubs across Europe. Um, we still wanted to have the ability to compete. Um, so one of the key things for me in, in my role in, in that moment was I need to be able to support the process of players going out on loan and still make sure we're competitive in our, in our youth ages, under 18s, under 21s, um, where we're still, where we're still competing. And I think there was a game where in the first season that I did this role, we lost 3-0. Um, I can't remember specifically, but we lost 3-0 to, to Chelsea at under-21s. We then played them again the season after. I think we won 6-1. And Mika Bireth, who we signed from Fulham, scored a hat-trick. Um, and that's when you know, okay, this is why we're doing it, is because not only does it create an environment of, okay, we're still present, we're still competing in our youth competitions, but also it creates a market for these players to go out on loan. Um, because mm. if you're an under-21 team that's underperforming, there's not going to be much interest, or from what I've seen anyway, from league clubs to then, unless you're a standout individual, want to take your players on loan. Um, so it's a cycle that probably where you say, kept kept me up was was making sure that I contribute towards that cycle from what the remit is of of our role as recruiting. I mean because it's the same. I remember being, you know, nines and elevens is the same, you know, I obviously I've worked at Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham. That's how you measure yourself, right? It's that, you know, well, who's got the best players and you know, and obviously, you know, this it's very competitive in London. Very interesting. So let's now let's move on then to, you know, you you, you talked about earlier taking a step up to technical director. Big step. I mean, tell us a little bit about your experiences there now. You know, you moved to Holland. It's a it's a you it's a it's a very different role, a big, big step up in terms of responsibility, and everything. What's what have been the main challenges for you then uh, you know, adapting to this new role? I think we're gonna need another hour if I start talking. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so long long story short like I, I basically go into this role 1st of January last year um, really 
walked in and, and realized that it was for me uh, a club of really big potential like you look at the stadium you look at the fan base you look at everything around the club that there is a feeling of this club being yeah, people described it to me when I was walking around the city and, and speaking with with fans as a sleeping giant like in in the past it's been a club that have performed and played in the Eredivisie it's been mismanaged for, for the last 10-15 years and this club could have real potential for it to to really be awakened again and that was kind of the challenge that that kind of put me in a position where I wanted to take this role what I didn't realize is that we would really have to do it with with no budget and and when I say no budget it's literally like nothing um and so I kind of used the first months two months to kind of observe where we are we also had a, a new general manager um that started after a month um who i work really closely with now um and for me it's like if you want to implement a philosophy then you have to be able to have the foundations in place for you to just be a functional organization and i felt like we were not that um there were basic things like you know guys eating cheese toasties after training like it was just it was an amateur club um with a stadium and that's basically what some of the some of the leaders in the in the club would would describe the club to me as is great history but at this moment we are an amateur club with a stadium and so my mindset was okay let's let's take a step back review see where we are um and try and implement those changes in small doses and get to next season as our season we then lost 13-0 to Pexuola and for me that was like we cannot wait like there's not there's not going to be a club left in in a month's time so we now have to react not only to this result but my feeling was that something like this would happen just because of the way that this club has been run the last years that it was leading to something like this um, and in the end, for whatever reasons, um, so many reasons that led to that, it was then the point where we go, okay, we have to now start implementing some changes. So we moved on from from the coach. The next day, um, we made the assistant coach um, the interim head coach for two, three games whilst we looked for a, for a new head coach. But in that period, it was now starting to that's when I kind of addressed the the staff and the team to kind of relay our responsibilities, um, not only for ourselves as professionals, but also for the fans. Um, it was also my first time being in that position where I now feel like I have to take the lead um, and rather than observe. And um, from that point onwards, it was changing towards a place where we want to professionalise every part of our environment, whether it's facilities, whether it's the way that we work, whether it's um, the level of player we have, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, we then start to then, for me, the big part is professionalise what we eat after training, how how much we train in the week, um, how often we train, what days we have strength training on, what days we now expose ourselves to um, friendly games, what, what everything around the programme that would then lead to 
uh, environment where a player could develop because I felt like we were in a position where we would expect players to be at a certain level, but we never had the environment for us to be able to to give them the tools that they needed for them to develop. So from that point onwards, um, when the new head coach came in, it was like for me having three three phases and we're kind of still, in my opinion, in phase one of this. But the three main goals was professionalize the organization, create a competitive squad that gives us the ability to compete, creating an environment that allows these players to develop, going young, having a young younger group where we can influence their development and hopefully then um, impact on the long-term sustainability of the club um, when it comes to creating value and creating um, players that are able to be sold. Um, the second phase is then, yes, stability when it comes to performances, um, doing the extras that we need to, you know, give us the potential to to fight for for playoffs. But at this moment, we're in a position of we need to create our own reputation first when it comes to the market. So that's why we bring in players like Luke Mbete from Man City on loan, um, mm. Salah on loan from Arsenal, um, West Ham. We just signed Christian Hedgie from West Ham. Um, and again, from a financial standpoint, there weren't there weren't deals we have to necessarily pay for at all, really. But what it does do is it creates an environment of a level of of professionalism, but also at the same time, we have players that we can show the world of football that we can bring in guys from from these big clubs develop them, send them back to their clubs and they can continue in their development whilst having them bosh on their CV as a place where they learn and grew. Yeah, because I was going to ask, I was not, because obviously I know Luke, so I coach Luke, um, yeah. some stuff with him. It's interesting, but how do you, how do you convince those guys to come to Holland and play for, you know, the, this team that they might not have, maybe not be like that recognised? I mean, what's your sales pitch? How you, how you, how you sell it to these guys, you know, in, in terms of development? So in, taking Luke in particular, like he had been at Huddersfield on loan and also Bolton. So you're competing with a guy that you knew had options to go and play in the championship, at least in League One. Um, and we, me and the head coach spoke with him um, and just said to him, look, like what we're transitioning now into is a place of of work with a lot of similarities on a different level, of course, and context but what you're used to working in, because this is what we implemented. We then brought in a head of performance. We brought in a video analyst. We brought in um, a, a full-time physio. Believe it or not, we didn't have that. Um, wow. Saying it like these are extras, but these for me were just like basic things you should have. But what really was the turning point for us was we, of course, it's more than just building a gym, but we built a gym that now when we play against opposition teams, they come in and go, okay, fair enough. Like these guys really are trying to do something because it looks great, but we built it off presenting to sponsors and we couldn't get money from our shareholders. So myself and the head coach presented to the sponsors and said, look, like you come and watch these games and you have your opinion. This is the reason why. And the head coach would just play clip after clip of why we're, we're gassing after 70 minutes. Like, we just mm. don't have the capabilities to give the players what we need them to have. So once we then start to create steps like this, um, where we can build a gym, we can bring in a head of performance, we make we create a structure and a way of working. It's easy then to present to a player like Luke to say, yes, we are then Bosch, we play in the second division. 
but we are working on something here and and it's going to be a lot similar to what you've experienced and what you actually think you might experience when you come here um and to be fair to luke like he's a smart guy like he's taking notes when we're talking you know you can see that he's really yeah. taking it seriously we follow up what really helped what helped us is we also signed dennis gianfi in the season in the uh season before but the window before and um he's good friends with luke from when they were at brentford and actually there was a time where me dennis and luke were at brentford at the same time um so yeah, he doesn't remember it but i remember them and that kind of helped us convince luke as well um is dennis would then obviously speak about the club and when it's coming from us yes he understands the the structure and everything around it but also when he's speaking with dennis he understands that it could also be good for him and his career to come to a place like this interesting and then what about recruiting a new head coach how was that for you i mean i assume that was uh a new experience you've gone from looking at players to looking at coach coaches how was that process yeah it was for me was it was it was easier than i thought um in the sense that look when you when you move on from a coach the next thing that happens is you get a load of agents messaging you with potential new coaches and yeah some some will be great um to consider and some will be just like how you would receive messages from agents on on players where it might just not fit the criteria of what you're looking for um but i wanted to create a scenario where we go down our own route of our criteria of yes we want to play we want to play a certain way but for me i wasn't even thinking that far ahead i wanted to look at a coach that has the same work ethic really of we're coming into a club that things are not going to be in place we're going to have to do it ourselves we need to build a foundation we're not going to get a set team we're not going to sign players that are um potentially eredivisie players um for today but we want to create a scenario where they are for tomorrow and when you speak to coaches you realize which ones are genuinely passionate about doing this and when i spoke with our current coach um i felt like not only was he a, a head coach that would improve our performances he would help us build towards what we're building um and his experiences of working with lekia dansk um taking them to europe but also at the same time working with the egyptian national team and working with a young mohammed salah um with Bob Bradley as the head coach those experiences were also interesting for me that he's worked with top end players when they were in the early stages of their development um but also he's worked in an environment that's gone to to a european competition um that where his starting points were yes different in context but similar um to where the team would stand in and amongst their league. And what about yourself then? What are your, your what are your ultimate ambitions in the game? Um, I would say for me, I have had loads of experiences now as a as a someone that's working in scouting and recruitment, also now as a technical director. Yes, the ultimate ambition is for me to progress as a technical director, but I feel like 
I want to be in a position where the influence of recruiting players is still very much present um, because in this role, I feel like the re the recruiting of players has been, of course, a, a a big part when you're transitioning a squad, but there's been a lot involved on the outside, which will always help my experiences going forward if I want to continue in a role like this. Um, but it's really building on my experiences as someone that can recruit players. Um, and it's different when you're recruiting as a scout versus when you're recruiting as a technical director, you have to think about different sets of criteria. Um, but that's kind of where I want to get to when it comes to my own standpoint is to continue my progression in, in, uh, in this role. Um, but also still be able to lead on recruitment. Mister, and what advice would you give to, you know, someone maybe aspiring to get into the game? And, you know, it's good to what you said earlier about, you know, you, you actually got that Chelsea gig really through LinkedIn. That's something that's quite amazing, you know, just that yeah. sort of, but it's to show you how networking and that sort of site. So, so important, but I mean, what was, what advice would you give, you know, someone who's just starting up in the game who wants to get into recruitment, who wants to do some, you know, whether it's analysis or, you know, work the way up to the, because, you know, you've had quite a meteoric rise in 11 years. That's quite impressive, you know, to go from there to, to where you are now. So what would your advice be to those people starting out just where they are now? Um, I think for me, the biggest thing would be like, if this really is your passion and your, and, and your ambition to be able to progress to a level in football is don't put a time limit on it. Like, don't just say that I'm going to do it for one or two years and see how it goes. Like really just go all in because it will then come quicker than you expect. And you'll be prepared when the opportunity comes um, because you'll be doing a lot more. And that's some of the things that I feel like I've learned along the way is the early parts of me just, just going all in from day one. Um, not only did it open up opportunities that I was really lucky and, and grateful to have got, but then I was also then prepared when those opportunities came for me to, to, to go in and contribute. And I think for me is use this, use the phases where you're, where you're maybe not getting much in return to prepare yourself when you do get an opportunity, because eventually if you do put in put in the work and you are banging down the doors, there will be someone to open that door for you. You just got to be prepared when, when they do. Yusuf, cheers, pal. It's been amazing. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game. <laughs>